Good evening. This is Ernie Gygax. If you love basic D&D, as I do, spend some time enjoying the Saber Dive podcast. Check it out. You burst through the door to find a small room filled with gold and jewels. And a red dragon, he starts to breathe. <laughs> Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Bring on your goblin holes and band of oats, hawking zombies and bows. And oh no, no, troll, don't slow me down, oh no. Don't dig up Bonjour, Save or Die 98. We are here once again, DM Mike with DM... Bonjour. <laughs> Bonsoir, mon ami. <laughs> and DM Liz. Why do you suddenly sound like my <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you get to find out later, Liz. Thank <laughs> heaven. <laughs> as long as but, I'm not Pepe Le Pew. Yes. Yes. She's <laughs> the cat. But hello, everyone. <laughs> I told them we already got one. <laughs> Anyway, this episode, we're going to be talking to a guest, uh, Ethan Gilsdorf, the yeah. author of Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks. Great book. I enjoyed it. Uh, still have to make Liz read it sometime, but heck, she hasn't read that uh, J.R.R. Holmes book, Fantasy Role-Playing Games, and she's a, a Holmes fangirl, and I can't I, get her to read that yet. <laughs> but immediately after this episode, everyone listening should go out and buy it. It's a great book. Yes. Yes. Buy two to make up for Liz. <laughs> I plan on catching up on a lot of game-related reading as soon as I get through this degree of mine. And I am so close to the end. I can see the light. Hopefully it is not an oncoming train, but I'm, I'm almost there. Almost practically. But first, before we allow Ethan Gilsdorf to come onto the show, allow... I love the sound. <laughs> we're we're going to spare Ethan answering emails. Yeah. More like, you know, I asked him, he agreed to be on the show, and I'm like, squee! <laughs> but anyway, what have we been doing in gaming this week? Jump. Oh, start with me, of course, because I didn't of do course. any gaming this week. Um, we were Aha. supposed to uh, do a playtest of an upcoming DCC adventure, and our DM... Uh, recall had like some emergency and it fell through so all i've done this week is a bunch a bunch a bunch of game writing um I, I i wrote four character classes from scratch yesterday boom Woohoo! that's how you well, do it i kind of know how you feel um troll lord has had the victorious manuscript for almost two years last week they emailed me saying they finally looked at some of it and I needed to totally rewrite a section because I didn't go into enough examples to explain how the Siege Engine worked. Like, but I took it from the white box set, just rephrased it to fit. For, yeah, but you need the 
you can, two pages isn't enough. You need 13 pages. Oh, I feel your pain, brother. And I'm mm-hmm. like, arrogant, I'm sorry, but if they need 13 pages to explain, roll a d20 and add your bo- bonuses and see if you get a number or not, they shouldn't be playing my game. Well, maybe, they should play something easier. Maybe you and I need to be whinge buddies because I can't whinge on about this anymore to Michael Curtis because all I get back is, told you so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, oh, hey, this is good, though. Uh, it's a different system, but it's still old school. James Smith and I are writing uh, something that will be an event, a tournament event at Gateway Games on October 25th. We're doing a DCC Level 0 Character Funnel Tournament where you win, and we're going to be giving away trophies, you win by getting a level zero through the most encounters. That's The, the scoring is simple. How many encounters did your level zero survive? But whoever gets the most, that's first place. So being killed doesn't necessarily knock you out so long as you did more encounters. Three, three tables running all the time. You get knocked out, grab another level zero, jump right back in, and it's going to be called the Dying Aerith. <laughs> in which, in which uh, each encounter will be a separate flavor of DCC RPG based on all the fanzines and uh, third-party publications that have been out. So some straight-up uh, medieval fantasy, Metal Gods of Ur-Hadad, under Crawling Under a Broken Moon, Transylvania Adventures. One, one, one of the encounters will be Hammer Horror style. So Oh, cool. All kinds of coolness. October 25th, if you're anywhere near Cincinnati, come down that Saturday, and we'll kill you. If you're not going to be at the Rose City Comic Con. Yes. Oh, is that the same week? That is the same same weekend. So, if you're not anywhere near Cincinnati, but you are near Tyler, Texas, come to the Rose City Comic Con. Yeah. But if you're maybe in the Northeast, getting to Cincinnati might be easier. Maybe. Yeah, but we won't have Jim Ward and Liz. That's true. That is true. That's two big draws right there. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Mike and his Tom Petty top hat. Don't come around here no more. <laughs> anyway. And if you give him enough money, he will not sing. <laughs> At the table, yes. Yeah, so anyway, Liz, what did me do this week? This week, unfortunately, we were meatless. Yeah. Um, she she However, has had to go away again. Um, school and work have rearranged their schedules. Once more, so that Her she had to go away. His dead. We have a resurrection scroll, but we haven't used it on her yet. We're just carrying the corpse around in a portable hole <laughs> for whenever she's going to actually be back. Then we're going to do it. So yeah, we're 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 meatless, and we may remain meatless for some time. But we are hoping that at the very least, by the beginning of next year. Once she has gotten her degree, she has been safely married, and things calm down in her life, she'll be able to come back to us. So, no meat stories this time around. On the other hand... We have not one, but two classic D&D games we were in. Sweet! Yeah, I ran one, and T-Man ran one on Skype. The one I ran was face-to-face with a couple of friends of ours, including one who had never played D&D before. I ran them through a quickie dungeon where they were going to rescue some... The local baron's son and his cronies got drunk and decided when a nearby peasant 
manage to dig up an ancient tomb that they can be adventurers and they armed up and got drunk and went down there and didn't come back out. So the Baron hired some real adventurers to go in there and find them and get them out. So that was fun. So damage control party for the lost level zeros. Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) They found two of the three alive. One of them on extreme hallucinogenics. The other one trapped in a pit trap. They actually got out without being killed. <laughs> yeah. Although it's, it's been a while since you run a game, huh? Yeah, I was about to say to show you how rusty I was when I slapped together this dungeon beforehand. I did the most rookie DM mistake ever. I had it set up that where to proceed in the dungeon after a certain point, they had to find a secret door, or they couldn't proceed any further. Ooh. And Every I thought there's three of them, of us. or four of them. One of them is going to find that secret door. No. Every yeah. single one of us blew our roll. We had no clue. <laughs> so on the fly, I ruled that when they set off a trap in the room, as well as it smashing them with crossbow bolts, it also popped open the secret door. So... I gave them that, and they managed to go on for there. But yeah, I mean, that just shows how rusty I am. That was just DMing 101 mistake there. I don't know what happened. I'd have been tempted to Stephen Moffat that door, secret door where, where their backs turned, suddenly they just hear, <laughs> <laughs> What? Who opened it? Somebody found their secret door. Who? Not me, not me, not me, not me. Listen. <gasps> or you now could Davies was... it. Or you could Davies it. We c- There's a secret door. Open it. We can't. It's deadlock sealed. Because <laughs> everything's deadlock sealed. I don't want to get off on Doctor Who, but I heard the best thing ever. Jenna Coleman was being interviewed, and somebody asked her about one of Stephen Moffat's deuce. I can't ever pronounce this. Deuce machina? Mm-hmm. Deus ex machina. Yeah. That thing. And she goes, oh, on, on the show, we just call those Moffat loops. <laughs> <laughs> well, Moffat loops. That sounds like a weird breakfast cereal in England, doesn't it? <laughs> Moffat loops. <laughs> Listen, that looks like your handwriting. <laughs> I think I would remember if I wrote that. Have you Are met you? you? Have you met you? <laughs> yeah, that was our, I, and I think he stuck it in there because he knew that's what all Doctor Who fans would be doing, going, I would remember it. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> you yourself say you're 2,000 years old. You've probably forgotten more than... <laughs> Heck, one of your prior, prior regenerations may have snuck in, wrote that, and left. You know, come on. <laughs> anyway. So that's, what, that's, then, what, that's what I did in Doctor Who this week. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> and Liz, you want to cover the 2E game? Uh, yeah, although there's not just tons to cover. We've we finished that damn temple. We finally finished the temple. Well, yay, right? Yay, yes. Um, no, no. Did you go back for one more shot at the door? We, we did go back and we kicked the door as we were going by. <laughs> so, yes, we did um, make sure it was still dead. And when it was, we kicked it. Um, yeah. Still tried to think of a way to toss it over the edge of the precipice. <laughs> it's three tons. Oh, a three-ton door, really? You just don't want us throwing it over the precipice. That's <laughs> so, yeah, we, we finished the temple. We got the information that we needed to get um so we will be heading out soon we've got a 
an illicit oracle who gave us val- valuable information that we desperately needed, but his price is for us to safely convey him to an, a location which will be disclosed to us once we all leave. It's like, oh, yeah, this isn't a setup for something. We and are so going to regret this. It was great. Everybody was, I mean, they were treating it like a wish, you know, trying to say, how exactly are they going to phrase the you know their agreement so they can still get out of it and kill the illithid, the mind flare, and then Liz just cut through it all, and saying, said, "As long as you break no laws and harm no innocents, I will protect you." It's like there, done, you know. <laughs> and Preston and Tim were like, "Yeah, what she okay? That what she said." <laughs> I love these setups. Does Chase come to North Texas Con? He has come in the past, but normally he and Mead come down just for the day. Um, if at all, yeah. If it, they were not able to come this past year, but I think they were there for the day year before last, or I was it so. two years ago? Uh, I know they do try to come. I mean, yeah, every time you describe one of these evil bastard DM setups he's given you, I just want to buy the guy a beer or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, if if he knows a beer might be involved, he might show up this next year. But... Uh, I guess once he's done with his master's in business, maybe he'll, he'll have a little more free time. Again, this real life, getting in the way of gaming, it's just annoying. So anyway. Um, well, that's pretty much all I got, unless there's okay. something I needed to mention. No, that's, that's about all I can think of. Okay. We're, we're pretty much going full spell jammer at this point, in case anyone was questioning. It's, it's, and as long as we're getting away from Forgotten Realms, I'm happy, because I, <laughs> I hate Forgotten Realms. Hate it, hate it, hate it. Well, I know a lot of people feel the same way about Spelljammer, but quite honestly, it's still a new enough Yeah, the last time we played Spelljammer was what, 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, so yeah. the 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 shininess of it really has not worn off for me yet. Um um I did a very brief Spelljammer campaign with Mike, like like he said about, you know, 15 20. 20 years ago, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, in first grade. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, we were three, and um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did the one campaign with Mike and another friend of ours, Lynn, um, and then I hadn't played Spelljammer again at all until now, so it's still very new and interesting to me, and I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of digging it. <laughs> but then we played... With uh, Teeman on a Skype game with old school Chris uh, and a few other, couple other guys, Patrick and I can't remember anyone. I remember the characters. I'm I'm (laughs) horrid. Anyway, um, he invited us to a two-hour one-shot basic expert D and D game, and I heard that, and you know, it it was cool, but I thought, yeah, there's no way we'll get done in two hours. It never happens that way. We'll get. X way into the dungeon, and then we'll stop in two hours. That's about it. But damn it, if he didn't wrap the entire adventure up in two hours, no it was cutting. amazing. It was it was really impressive, and it was a Scooby Doo game too. Is that it, what all that on Facebook was about? I get it now. It really was a Scooby Doo ending. We caught the bad guy, the evil wizard, and you know. <laughs> yeah, the mask the comes lady. off, and it's like, and it was the old lady who owned the tavern, you yeah. know, 
the mean old lady who keeps the tavern owner in debt to her and and even had some lucrata there as Scooby. (laughs) 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 Yeah, and it was like, wow, it is a Scooby. (laughs) Scooby Scooby-Doo episode. But yeah, we broke in there. We killed some critters. We stopped the evil summoning of something or other and and saved the the farmer's son did, who was going to be the sacrifice did, did the side of your flower van say mistara inc it should have uh, we should have we, uh, i don't think we had a van but yeah we didn't have we didn't get a van not yet van, yeah maybe maybe we can get a, ca- a carriage or something if we go back yeah have it custom painted but yeah and instead of the the helpless pretty farmer's daughter being lost it was the you know, well-muscled, blonde, Fabio-haired farmer's son. So mm-hmm. I was picking on Liz about that. And he's like, yep, yep. He'll be so grateful to your character. Hey, he was grateful. He, was. he, wanted, he wanted to give me the old house that's in the back <laughs> of, the, of their land. The back 40, yeah. It only needs a little bit of work, you know, do some stuff with the roof. Get, get the giant rats out of the basement. Yeah, Pretty every much. single family member. Tried family. to palm off that house on us. It's like, oh, if you'll do this, yeah, we could even give you the house, you know. And then, you know, and we rescue him. Yeah, we rescue the kid. It's like, wow, my parents are going to be so grateful. I bet they'd even give you the house. It's like, nice try. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are way too happy to try to get rid of that house. I don't Our think luck, so. We, we go to that house in its Tejel Manor. Yeah. It's the Scooby-Doo haunted mansion from the beginning where all the bats fly out. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, we actually get to say we played classic D&D not once, but twice. Awesome. (laughs) Well, I played twice. You ran once and played. That still counts. Running is playing. Yeah, that still counts. So, anyway, that's our gaming. So, I wonder if we have any emails. Well, let me see. I'm pretty sure we do. Get down, get down. Get down, get down. The Save or Die email hot tub time machine. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week I hope that it's from a female. Oh, man. Okay, our first email is from J.V. West. J.V. Woohoo! And he writes, Sodders! Hey! Hard to believe it, <laughs> but I am two episodes away from being current with your show. Oh, that's three now. Yeah. Aha! I just finished the episode about Seven Voyages of Xylerthon. I'd heard of this game before, and I think I may have looked at it. But your show made me take a closer look. Very nice. This is indeed a game I would pay to own, so I may in fact order my print copies soon. A lot of people seem to like our review. The art is by John Dixon Batten, who died in the 30s, so I assume it is all public domain. Quite wonderful and fitting to the product. OD&D appeals to me in the sense that I'm a tinker sort of DM who likes to build worlds and house rules. Yes, the simple nature of OD&D lends itself well to that endeavor. But BX what? is my true darling, Word. so I doubt I'll switch rule sets from Labyrinth Lord anytime soon. 
Ah, well. Except when I'm running DCC RPG. Spellburners represent. Woohoo! <laughs> Jim, I'm also a Kentuckian, and I attended U of L in the early 90s. Holy crap. <laughs> when you make references to Louisville, it hits close to home. I dropped most of my income at The Great Escape and Electric Ladyland in those days. Oh, man. Hey, all my best friends were mugged in Louisville, yet I escaped unscathed despite walking to work on Oak Street for the midnight shift. I guess I'm a thief since I have good hide-and-shadow skills. That's a, that's a country and western song title. All my <laughs> friends were mugged in Louisville. <laughs> Keep on with the terrific podcast, J.V. West. Thanks, JV. Yeah. That's awesome, JV. I was just down there a few months ago, and The Great Escape is still there to this day. Of course, Electric Lady Land is like Holly Cookbook Solution, Ear Ecstasy are all long gone. But if you were at UofL in the 90s, so was I. So depending on what years you were there, I could have been the obnoxious cartoonist in the school newspaper or the editor-in-chief of that paper. <laughs> cool. Okay. Our next email is from Alfonso the Great. Do, do, do. That's like the king of cartoons. That's a pretty good name. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys and gal. I just sent the below message via your website, but got a rejection message, so I'm resending it just to be sure you guys get it. You guys do an awesome show. I wanted to make a few comments on episodes 92 and 95. Here it comes. <laughs> yeah. First, regarding episode 92, I wanted to thank you for making a show about con etiquette that didn't insult your audience's intelligence and rehash the same tired common sense material so many other gaming podcasts cover. I actually took away some useful information from your discussion and was not bored to tears listening to things everyone above the age of five should know about proper social behavior. Good job. <laughs> Second... In regards to the letter in episode 95, asking about nice ways to tell someone not to be an unpleasant individual. Besides DM Jim's excellent advice to kill their character, <laughs> one method I found that softens the blow and avoids conflict is to use humorous language. For example, if someone is complaining about the game, instead of telling them, don't be a dick, you can say something like, don't be such a Debbie Downer, assuming they know the character from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> That's worse in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> or if the person is coming off hostile, ask, do you need a hug, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Taking their side in an exaggerated way is another tactic. For example, if the person is arguing with the DM about a particular ruling, take their side against the DM, but go over the top with it. Blast it, DM! You could say, slamming your fist on the table. This is an important rule! And frankly, you are breaking my heart with your callous disregard for my dogmatic interpretation of the Holy Gospel according to Gygax. Oh, wow. <laughs> Smell that? Hot, buttery sarcasm. <laughs> of course, this approach assumes your DM isn't a dick, too. <laughs> if you use it correctly... Humor and lighthearted, non-threatening language makes the person aware of the behavior and how it is perceived by others without wounding their ego and putting them in an uncomfortable position. What you want to avoid is alienating and singling them out in a way that puts them in fight-or-flight mode. 
If they don't take the lighthearted hint, it might help to ask them a question that makes it clear you respect them and want to understand their perspective. Loaded questions like, what the hell is your problem? Or, are you a moron? Are no good, of course. But properly worded questions give the person an opportunity to express themselves and clear the air regarding the issue at hand. Asking questions also avoids the pitfall of giving the person a target to attack. If these tips don't work, then the person you are dealing with is a genuine asshole, and you really should boot them out of your life for good. Life is very short indeed. Let the jerk go ruin someone else's good time. Just my thoughts on the subject. Keep up the good work. Thanks again, Alfonso the Great. That was awesome. That was awesome. (laughs) And I'm sure Jim will thank you because your email gives him the chance to beep Liz a few more times. (laughs) Yeah, I... I don't think I'm going to beep it this time. You don't think oh, so? Man. Well, oh, well. Well, I mean, you're the boss. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I was going to say, beep me out when I say something totally innocuous. <laughs> Just oh, like I love that. I love that. It makes it sound dirty when it's not dirty. Say something, and I'll I'll, I'll do that. Um, well, gosh, now I'm put on the spot. I can't think Penguin. of anything. <laughs> I, I'm sure you'll you'll find a, an appropriate place later on in the episode. Or like the Count song. Actually, um, I'm on it. You'll, you'll have to probably have to do it in a different episode because people are going to be looking for it in this episode now that I've talked about it. Yeah, so. I've got to catch them off guard. But see, so. aud- editing audio is like having a TARDIS. I can go back and do it at the beginning of the episode before you said that. Yes. Ah. <laughs> there, see? Done. Ha-ha. Timey-wimey. And now, and now she's gonna, he's going to beep out every question you ask, Ethan Gilsborn. <laughs> Oh, no, it's a lot of work, man. I'm not doing it all podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, okay. Thanks for the email. Yes, thank you. And that's some good suggestions. And our next email is very short indeed. It is from Russ. Russ. And Russ asks, where's the link to the archive page? I would like to go back and listen to the older podcasts and a couple that I have missed since the beginning of the year. Well, Liz Russ. I did. I did. I did. <laughs> it was good too. I was hungry. I'm sorry, Russ. I uh, happened to see this e- this email. We're catching up. I think it was from back a couple of months ago or a month ago. And uh, uh, yeah, the ones that the emails I'm reading right now are from either July 30th or July 31st. Uh, me a couple. Me. I can't say the word. I'm Culpa. sorry. What? Culpa. Yeah, that. That. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm the guy who does the website part of this rig, and uh, when I uh, redid the look, feel, the show, I didn't put an archive in. But the second your uh, email hit our email box, I corrected that, so we live to serve. There is now an archive through which you can access every single month the podcast has ever been on and pick your episodes. For four years' worth. That's right. Woohoo! Hope that helps, Russ. So, my bad. I'll just say it in English. <laughs> All righty. Our next email is from Kevin Long. Hey, Kevin. And he writes, Hi, guys and Liz. So I was just listening to the class show. I had a thief magic user who had mental issues. So when he went to pick a lock and he couldn't because he thought it was covered in snakes, he would cast knock. The only spells he could learn were spells like knock and anything that would help him with his thieving. Thanks, Kevin. Well, I mean, I could build a case for why, as a thief, I need fireball. That that's <laughs> yeah. that um, that reminds me of Rita's character 
back oh, a few years ago. Her thief cleric? Yes, who who worshipped uh, Hermes, the god of thieves. But she refused to admit she was a thief. So she would go to doors and pray. Ah. <laughs> I'm and the praying for my praying God for God's to open intervention the door. To, to do this since I don't know how because I am so not a thief. You know, <laughs> you know that Casadias you have looks a lot like a lockpick. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it? It's hot that way. <laughs> <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> what is this holy symbol after all? Yeah. Mm. So that's pretty cool. It 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 has its uses. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of like, you know, as we had mentioned, your dwarf yeah. who was the magic user. Turin Steelweaver. Yeah. yeah who, who only had spells for jewelrying. Yeah, so, yeah, no, fi- no fireballs there, I'm afraid. But you want to heat up yeah. the metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need fireball right. to get, the, get your forge Burning going. hands at most for that sort of thing. Remember, gold and silver have low melting points. How are you supposed to smelt electrum without a good lightning bolt? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Electroplating. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, well. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you've been playing DCC too long. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting it all out of my system before the guest comes on. Ta-da! <laughs> And our last email from a guy with the coolest name ever, in my opinion, Jason Fury. Wow. That's right up there with Vic Shade. It's like, if, if this guy was not born to be an action hero, I don't know who is. Yeah, or join the military. Jason Fury. Sergeant Fury. Leather, yes. Leather trench coat, eye patch, he's done. <laughs> Or the earlier, when he was only a sergeant, and he could have some howling commandos. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Wow, I'm dating myself. Anyway. Anyway. Mr. Fury writes, Howdy, Sodcasters. I just wanted to write to let you all know how much I enjoy your podcast and wanted to thank you all for your hard work. Thanks. I particularly enjoyed episode 95 and just wanted to respond in particular to the combined classes that Mike created. I think he mentioned that they appeared in Footprints, but I saw them in the Crusader magazine. The combined classes that Mike created have become a standard part of our Castles and Crusades campaign and would easily be adapted to any basic D&D campaign. Just wanted to express my appreciation, and I look forward to many more great podcasts. Thanks. Jason Fury, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Oh, I had I had totally forgotten that I had... I had castled and crusaded them and submitted them to the crusader. But yeah, I did. It didn't take much. You know, I mean, it's... Do you you remember which issue number? So, like, listeners can jump on eBay and actually grab it or something? Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. I mean, I've got all the crusaders here, but I don't remember them right off the top of my head. But I'll I'll put them in the show notes. Like, I've got a stack of them right here in front of me. It was early issue, I think. Somewhere in the first... If there Five are P- PDFs for sale of it or something. Oh, are they yeah. still selling PDFs of Crusader? They Mons? are. Um, okay. They are indeed. Maybe we can put that there. Even though it's Taco. <laughs> yeah, well, even Tacos need a thief, no illusionist. Indeed. Indeed. A dead one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Zach. Sorry, Zach. I love gnomes now. I love gnomes now. Well, so, you love that gnome. <laughs> so, so call off Topas, would you? Yeah, thanks. All righty. Well, thanks for the emails. And 
If you wanted to email us, you can email us at where, Jim? Oh, wow. My whole hard drive just locked up in my head. The Save or Die podcast at gmail.com. There you go. Oh, it was there. <laughs> <laughs> it was in that section. Or you can call our voicemail at 940-536-3763. Three sod. All right. Well, we're going to take a break for some incredibly important announcements that are vital to the defense of Western civilization. And then we will return to Game On and Ethan Gilsdorf. Yay. I'm bored. Me too. This 24th level elf barbarian mage assassin is lame. Hey, want excitement? I do. Want adventure? Uh, yeah. Then just open up a vein and pray to the Dark Master. Burn some luck and roll a die. Now you're ready to listen to Spellburn. Spellburn, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. Join the band and party like it's 1974. Hey guys, can I play? Sure! Check us out at Spellburn.com or wherever fine iTunes are served. Oh cool, I summoned a demon horde. Game on! And this week we've been joined by the author, teacher, tinker, tavern, spy, Ethan Gilsdorf, author of Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks. Thanks for coming on the show, Ethan. Thank you so much for having me. And we've managed to collect a small pile of questions for you, enough to choke a dragon with, we hope. And (laughs) we'll try and round-robin it for you. And the first one... I'd like to know your starting RPG uh, when you first got into the hobby. Please don't say advanced D&D. That's another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> hey, I, I saw Ga- a Game World box and a picture in the book, so I know he's a brother. Oh, yes. okay. No, I learned on the, uh, you know, the 1977 boxed set, the Holmes, yes! uh, Holmes box set edition. And... It was, uh, you know, like I'm sure a lot of the people who've described their first gaming experience, a completely mind-blowing experience for me, uh, had never come across anything like it and uh, had really such a fun, it was, it was a summer of my, of my uh, 12, I was 12 years old when it happened, had such a fun first summer playing this game. You're in good company because I think Liz and Mike started in 79 and were 12 years old too, right? Wow. Uh, I, I started, I think... I think it was 1980. Um, I was, I was, it was either 80 or 81, and I was 11 or 12, and I, it was the summer for me, too, and I didn't even know the game existed, and I had gone into a, a, a local hobby shop where we were living in Corpus Christi at the time, and I was just wandering around. I was there for the model train stuff, actually, and I just saw this box with the the dragon art on it, and I bought it solely on the strength of the art on the box cover. I had no idea what the game was, but it looked really cool, so I bought it and wow. changed my life. 
So well, you didn't have anyone to teach you how to play it. You just no, sort of opened I, up the thing and said, what the heck is this? Yes, I was totally, you know, just feeling my way in the dark at the beginning. And there, there was no group in the area that I knew of. And if, even if there was, I'm sure they would not have wanted an 11-year-old girl to join them. So, yeah, I tried to figure it out on my own, and I roped my friends and my cousins into playing with me. <laughs> yeah, you're none right. Of, none of my cousins play now that we're adults, <laughs> so apparently I've scarred them for life. But <laughs> Well, we, Leslie married a guy who played. So, yeah, my you know, cousin Leslie of... did marry a gamer, so, you know. Well, I was 10 years old, and it was Christmas, so my dad got me. And it was the Holmes box set, though, so... Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was totally confused and fortunately found a gaming group, a bunch of 35-year-olds who were already playing D&D, along with regular war gamers. So I showed up, and they managed to be willing to teach a 10-year-old, which was nice, which I've discovered. very generous. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that, especially back in the day, that didn't happen often, unfortunately. I'm not sure they pulled any punches with you, though. No, no. I went through boxes of character sheets <laughs> dead 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 you're re- resurrected good you're dead again well ethan you grabbed me right from the start in fantasy freaks and gaming geeks because i was class of 79 homes box set two although mm. i was 18 at the time but uh yeah going through some um family life stresses shall we say similar to yeah others. yeah and and so D was like i'm in <laughs> yeah. No, it really, I mean, I, I've noticed in, in my research for that book and obviously talking to a lot of gamers since since Fantasy Freaks and Geeks came, in, sorry, Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks came out, that a lot of people, I mean, I wouldn't say there's a certain D&D type of person. Uh, people certainly would relate to the story that I tell in the introduction, which is, you know, dealing with a, a disabled parent who lived at home with me at the time. And it was it was a scary, very um, uh, disorienting, uh, traumatic time for me but a lot of people even if they didn't share that similar home stress they they probably were the kind of kid who was you know had tried at other things and, and just for whatever reason didn't feel like it was the it was uh, the activity was speaking to them or they couldn't find their group of pals you know to, to to hang out with and do stuff with so for me it was a kind of a perfect storm of not only the perfect game for me but opened up a whole social network uh, of of kids you know, mostly boys, unfortunately, but nonetheless, um, who were, who were, you know, um, you know, we could, we could do the, the, the things that, that people play D and D for and, and speak each other's language and get each other, which was, I think really key. Yeah. Uh, I think it's most of the people who started on D and D were tended to be better read and more intelligent and handsome than the average person. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah, there were girls in our first group in 79, Liz, but they were also 18-year-old college freshmen, and I don't think we'd, you're right, we wouldn't have been crazy about an 11-year-old girl joining the group. Yeah, I mean... Or an 11-year-old boy, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that it would have been because I was a girl, but, you know, being a girl and being just, and only being 11 on top of that, you know, it would have been like... You know, the little kid's sister wanting to do what her older brother's doing. And it's like, oh, get away. I don't have time for you. I want to wait a skeleton. Yeah. We discovered our group, our group in, in high school discovered that we actually were attracting a little, a little group of, of, you know, young women who wanted to hang out with us. You know, not dis- despite uh, our D&D 
you know, interest, but because I think they were interested in, in, in meeting us and hanging out with us. And, and I think they were genuinely interested in the game. And I think at a certain point, a couple of them were invited to play, but it, we were so clueless, you know, at least I was, I was so clueless that this was possibly a way to meet girls, you know, that I didn't quite make the connection. Oh, this is how you might have something in common to talk with a, a female of the species about, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember reading, you know, Dragon Magazine back in the day, and I I recall coming across several letters, you know, written in of these women who, you know, wanted to join in and play, but they were, you know, basically pushed away by the local groups. And I always thought, you know, when I was in high, junior high or high school, if a girl had come over and wanted to play, I'd have been thrilled. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really love in your book, Ethan, how through your personal memoir you sort of document, because we all come from that era when it was a very covert, suspicious, very nerdy activity to coming back to it as adults today where it's much more mainstream. And I walk in a store at my age now and I just go, where was all this when I was a kid? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really true. And I think that um, it was so covert in my high school that it turned out that there was another another group of guys who were playing D&D, and I didn't find out about it until about well, until my book came out. I got a Facebook message from a guy who was uh, not a friend of mine, but you know, knew my last name, and he was a couple years ahead of me, and he's like, you didn't know that we were also playing D&D at the same time? Wow. And it was such a small <laughs> high school. It was only like 500 people in the high school. We could have easily crossed paths, and we never did. We really didn't really like to talk about it outside of our own little group. Um, and uh, you know, I wouldn't say that I ever got any kind of uh, uh, pushback from from my parents, they didn't fear for my personal safety or for my, you know, my soul, uh, for that matter. <laughs> uh, none of the, the D&D is satanic. Yeah, that thing. was in the news for sure, but my parents who wouldn't be the kinds of people who would have been, would have been worried about that anyway, uh, you know, didn't, didn't align with their, with their belief systems. Uh, but for them, it was more, this is an activity that, you know, uh, Ethan is doing and it's... He's having fun, and it's 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 a creative outlet for him. And he actually has friends, and he gets to go to their houses after school. You know that that in and of itself seemed like it, any possible ill effects of the game were completely overlooked. You know, uh, you know, just because I was doing this uh, as a social uh, way to basically make friends. Well, just out of curiosity, uh, where did you grow up? So I grew up in a small town in the seacoast area of New Hampshire, and. Uh, I live now in Boston or a, a city next to Boston called Somerville. So it's about an hour and change uh, north of Boston. Okay. And it's actually where my brother and my sister uh, still live. They live very close to where we grew up. So it's a pretty small town, um, and but it was a college town or the town next to the town that I lived in was a, was a college town where the University of New Hampshire is. So there were an, there's enough of a critical mass of, of, of young people that there was a hobby shop um, or like the campus bookstore sold hobby stuff and they had a gaming convention you know again very small by today's standards uh at the on campus so we we had heard about it through other ways as well and we did actually you were telling the story of hanging out with older older players at one point we did you know get our 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 our, uh, bravery together went off to the to the college uh you know whatever con that it was for for a weekend and and played D and other you know miniature war games with the the college kids which was Kind of a big deal for us at the time, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it was obviously you know for those, all your listeners, you know this, but for for those of us who started to play in this time, it was a time before the internet. It was a time before cell phones. It was a time before you could really easily find a group of like-minded people or communicate 
with people uh, or find a website that was like, oh, here's this, you know, here's a community of people around this interest group. So, um, you know, if you couldn't figure out in who in your town knew how to play D&D, then you, you were kind of screwed, you know, yeah. you, you yeah. game. Um, uh, but people didn't, you know, yeah. you could find an, even an online group, obviously, to, to do that with. Yeah, being so young at the time, you know, I, like I said, I had to corral my own friends, my own cousins to play with me. And, you know, certainly wasn't old enough to drive. So if I had known of anything going on in town, I wouldn't have been able to get to it without, you know, asking my parents if they would please come take me. Um, yeah, so I had, I had no idea how prevalent it may or may not have been but corpus christi was a pretty good sized city so i'm sure there were other gaming groups out there but Mm -hmm. i never ever knew about them and i was amazed i think it was maybe a year later when i and my mom were visiting some friends in san antonio and we were at one of the bookstores, and I saw my first issue of Dragon Magazine. I didn't even know there was a magazine about gaming. <laughs> and so I grabbed that and got it. And you know, so, it's like, I'm totally clueless. Yeah, you know, there wasn't such an easy way to connect with like-minded people then yeah. as there is now. Magazines. That makes a lot of sense. Hey, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, magazines and conventions were pretty much it. Yeah. Unless you were lucky enough to already find a local group, and that magazine experience—I hadn't really reflected on this before—but you, you think you're playing this game in seclusion, or you know, in my case, I was—we were getting these products either from the local hobby store, or we would mail away from them to this magical land called Lake Geneva, uh, which we <laughs> didn't know where that was exactly, but somewhere in the Midwest. Um, but you didn't really have an idea of who, who else out there was playing, and what, how were they talking about their game, and what questions did they have? So you pick up a copy of Dragon, and then there's all you know, there's letters to the editor, and there's all this, you know, reader feedback stuff, and like, oh, and it's advertising, you know, in the magazine talking about all these other games that you can get and other companies, and it was kind of a mind a mind opening experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, fortunately, we all managed to make it one way or the other. <laughs> we did. <laughs> well, we all seem like we're pretty much the same age now, but the age difference is critical when you're in those teenage years. The, the, the town I, oh, yeah. grew, I grew up in in rural Kentucky was just too small to have ever heard of it, which is why I got into it at 18 instead of 14 when I could have when it first came out. Right. We just didn't know about it. I had to go away to college. But what was great is we got to be the guys who brought it back to our hometown. And and then, not not 11-year-old girls, but we put some you know notices up in the library and recruited the then high school age you know, 15 year olds and started expanding the hobby. We got to be part of that evangelical part of D and D before cool. it was super famous. I, I didn't, you know, growing up, you don't understand that that's a special experience. Yeah. We were just doing it. <laughs> In my case, it was, it was a, a kid who'd moved into town from somewhere else. So he, he's, um, you know, featured in my book. His name is JP. JP. And he, yeah. And he later, he later goes on to become my brother-in-law. Basically his sister is married to my brother. Oh. Uh, he was just over here tonight. Actually, we were supposed to, <laughs> Sunday night is usually our gaming night, and we were supposed to play. Uh, and then some folks had to drop out, drop out, so we were just gonna, just gonna play some board games. But he was over here tonight, and and uh, it's always a reminder that you know sometimes it is the, um, you know, one of the classic uh, narratives they talk about. You know, all fiction is someone goes on a journey, or you know, somebody, you know, a stranger comes to town. And uh, in in my life, it was really the stranger comes to town was kind of one of the major defining moments because this kid shows up with with this game you know he's come from california 
and uh, he's heard about it through his network, you know, and uh, he's a year, was a year younger than me, and uh, he'd already started to play it uh, uh, with another kid in our neighborhood, and I showed up, and I was like, what is this? And, and it was just a very, um, it's very fun to have that kind of experience come to you from uh, another kid, you know, rather than mm-hmm. someone like a parent or a teacher says, this would be good for you if you did this, you know, which is a different kind of experience than, than sort of stumbling across something on your own. I was just going to say, um, that does kind of lead into one of the questions that we had for you was, you know, how did any of your first gaming group, you know, react to being depicted in your book? Mm. Well, I, you know, as a writer and as someone who writes a fair amount of nonfiction, this is always an issue to think about uh, and something that I talk about in my classes because I teach, I teach nonfiction writing, you know, especially when you're writing about people who are living, uh, not your deceased family members or, you know, some hated, <laughs> some, some hated relative, you know, which oftentimes is the case. People will, will, will wait to write about someone until after they passed away, which is a little sad thought. But nonetheless, they don't want to worry about their reaction. So these are guys who I, some of the guys like my friend JP, we've been in touch all, over the years. Some of the other guys in the group I lost track of, uh, honestly. And it was really through the journey of writing this book that I reconnected with some of them. But some of them I couldn't find until actually after the book came out. Um, so it was a little dicey, uh, but the one ah. who, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was a totally subconscious punch. <laughs> Those are the best kind. Yeah. <laughs> but they, the, the ones who are, are, I was able to contact, I did ask them, you know, this is what's happening. Um, you know, you're going to be mentioned sort of, um, aside from my friend JP, who features more prominently, uh, you're going to be mentioned kind of in passing. How do you feel about that? Are you okay with that? And they were all fine with it. Uh, and in the case of JP, I actually showed him the chapter that he appears in because I was trying to recreate a scene that, you know, is as close to my memory as I can remember it, but there's lines of dialogue and I describe what he looks like. And, you know, I kind of make a, you know, try to bring his life, uh, sorry, bring him to life and bring me to life. The, the kind of kid I was back in 1979. So there's a little bit of, you know, uh, uh, you know, creative writing that goes on there to try to do that. Uh, so I wanted him to feel comfortable with that. And, and same with my parents for that matter. You know, my, my mother who's no longer living, but my mom, uh, my stepmom and my dad and my brother and sister, I wanted to show them what I'd written mm-hmm. just to make sure that they weren't going to disown me or write me out of their will or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and even, uh, ex significant others. Exactly. Yes. Which is another, another issue. And in, in, her, in that case, I, I was not really in contact with her at the time. So I think her first exposure to the book was actually reading it on her own. But she was fine with it. Um, at least she said she was fine with it. So uh, it wasn't something that I, I pursued as much. But you know, even that, like, do I do I give her a name? You know, how do I identify her? Uh, do I do I make it so that someone who doesn't really know me that well wouldn't be able to know who she was? You know, these are questions that are a little bit um, tricky. And I think the more ruthless writers out there will be just like, who cares? It doesn't matter. I'm going to just say all these things that happened, and you know, let. You know, let let, let the, the you know the, the litigation. The yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. The let, let right. Let the lawyers. You know, let the uh, lawyers fall where they may. <laughs> well, I, I love how the NPR review uh, called your book "Lord of the Rings" meets Jack Kerouac's "On the Road," but I find you a much less ruthless writer than Jack Kerouac. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was a very nice thing for them to say. Um, yeah, it's it's funny because I didn't exactly know where the journey of writing the book was going to take me and. And I knew that I had a subject matter I wanted to explore, and I, and I knew that it was a timely subject matter because I f- suspected there were a lot of guys out there, and women too, but probably more guys than women, who were 
who had a similar story to mine, you know, that they had played D&D at a certain point in their lives. Uh, it had had a, had a huge impact on them or maybe a tiny impact on them, but they got older and they kind of became wistful and thought, oh, you know, geez, whatever happened to my old box set or whatever happened to my bag of dice? And, and they sort of yearned to play it again or, or people who have children, you know, went on to have kids and now want to introduce it to their, to their progeny. So, you know, there are a lot of guys out there who I think had a very similar story to mine and, and they know the game had an impact on them um, and hadn't maybe fully explored that or, or hadn't really talked, hadn't really figured out why they'd stop playing. Uh, what, what the circumstances were behind that. Speaking of that, uh, did the idea for the book come to you first and then you re-entered the hobby, or was it you were re-entering the hobby and you thought this might make a good book? It's a little bit of both. I mean, I think the the book talks a little bit how my sort of my sort of uh, dipping of the toe and my toes into the water had more to do with uh, Lord of the Rings, actually, when Lord of the Rings came out um, in 2001 and 2002, 2003. That was my initial... Um, reminder that this idea of fantasy worlds and Tolkien and you know swords and sorcery had I was I was hugely into it as a kid. But it was, wasn't I, the D and D movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> not the <laughs> exactly. Darn. And, and, and I was not. I was not. Um, it, it occurred to me that I wasn't really sure why I had stopped doing all this. You know, and, and I hadn't really thought back over my life. Like, when did I really stop doing this? And then the other sort of triggering or catalyst moment was when I found my box of D&D stuff in my parents' basement. And that literally I'd not seen, you know, I lived overseas and I came back home and I was turning 40. It was a kind of a perfect storm. And that was really the, the impetus to make me think about, well, you know, what, what did all this stuff, all this D&D detritus and all the maps and the character sheets and the all the stuff that I wrote and, and dreamed up, you know, what, what was that all about? So it was really the investigation of the book that came, that drove the journey to get back into gaming. Uh, but uh, it was a kind of a chicken and egg thing because I had started to write about this topic a little bit and I'd started to poke my nose in and I found myself hanging around gaming shops a little more than I used to, you know, and sort of like, what happened to D&D? Like, what does it look like now? I hadn't seen the game in, you know, 20 so years. So, um, but certainly once the book project had been greenlighted and I was, I, I knew that I could talk about not just D&D, but all the other things that I wanted to talk about in my book from LARPing to, you know, the SCA to, uh, Harry Potter fandom, all these other topics I wanted to get into in my book. Then I thought, all right, this is, you know, it definitely starts with D&D and goes out from there. Well, I remember your section on the SCA have... Liz and I were both former members. So yeah. I know reading that is like, yeah, I met that guy. Yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> I ran into that guy. <laughs> so you're not as active in it anymore, or did, did no. you ever not become a member? I mean, I guess you don't pay your dues, but I mean, you're you, you could still show up for an event if you wanted to, or yeah. Well, it kind of reached a point to where the drama <laughs> got too much for yeah, local yeah. groups and everything, and um, I'm visually disabled, so. I reached a point to where I couldn't fight anymore. And it's like, well, heck, that's all the enjoyment I'm getting out of it anymore. And I can't do that. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty, I mean, not to, to diss the SCA at all, but it does strike me as a pretty, pretty uh, rules bound. You know, if you talk about gaming systems, I mean, they have a pretty rules bound, you know, hierarchy going on. Mm -hmm. And from what I know, again, I only had a very 
small exposure to it. But well, in a way, I think you can draw a lot of parallels between people that you will meet in reenactment and people that you will meet at the gaming table. There's a lot of good yeah. people in reenactment, but there are also some rules lawyers who mm-hmm. are going to try to make things uncomfortable for people who just want to get out there and have fun. Or people who insist you refer to them by their noble titles on the phone. Right. <laughs> oh, my really, God. Really, yeah, you, princess? You think, you think we're making that up, Jim? We are we're not. I <laughs> wish we were. And, and people make fun of so, us for calling ourselves DM Jim and DM Liz and DM Mike. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, we, we still have a lot of friends from medieval reenactment that we keep in contact with. And they are great people. And they're still getting enjoyment out of, out of the game. And, you know, more power to them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I was amazed to just to hear. I mean, it obviously makes sense looking back on it, but at the time, I didn't. It didn't occur to me that someone who, who might have begun with, uh, let's say, they were a theater person, and they their first exposure to this was actually to any of this these subcultures was, uh, let's say, a friend of theirs said, "We have there's this thing called LARPing. Do you want to check it out?" And then they they try that out, but they realize, "Oh, eh, that's not really for me. I'm more into, um, you know, the SCA or something." I, I met a person who. Who actually got into D and D through World of Warcraft? You know, he first started playing World of Warcraft, and then somehow got very tight. Well, some people do this; they sort of timed out on that experience. They felt like they could only do so much mm-hmm. playing that game, and, and and then somehow, you know, obviously you hear about D and D, you know, because it's a pretty clear lineage line from D and D up to to Warcraft. But so it's just interesting to hear about all the ways in which people found out find out about these different activities and the kind of overlapping Venn diagrams, you know, that they all make up. I thought it was really interesting the part of your book when you were going to physically go to Lake Geneva and attend what is now Gary Con, but at the time was still the Lake Geneva Game Convention. Yeah, yeah. Were, were you there, by the way, during that year? Do, do you go to that fairly, fairly I'm, regularly? I'm, I'm a part of the crew that helps put it on now in, in my own yeah. little small part, but not back then. But okay. But yeah, you know, Liz what, and I were at the Lake Geneva Gaming Con, so we may have missed each we, other. Because it was a pretty small affair when I, that year I was there. It was mm-hmm. only maybe 100 25 people or something. Yeah, at the Cove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I really love the parallel experience because in the time that you did that, around 2008, 2009, was uh, just as the old school renaissance was starting to happen. And as you write in your book, you're coming to that from a complete outsider who's already uh, played a game of fourth edition. And you come up there and run into those guys that are like, nope, AD&D is still good enough for me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it was the year that, that that Gygax died, you know, too, which was which was a huge. Uh, I, I totally blew that. I didn't realize that he wasn't doing well, and I didn't realize that, uh, you know, he had a limit. There was a limited amount of time that I could have connected with him, and I could have easily done it if he would have seen me or would have agreed to have spoken with me. I could have easily done it six months before that, but can I probably make, um, would have. Can I make um, you feel better? Yeah, sure. Uh, I uh, published uh, fourth edition Metamorphosis Alpha through a little game company that I had that only lasted a couple of years and through that experience got to be good friends with Jim Ward and I had an open invitation at Gary's table for two years prior to his death and me and my brother were involved in some tech startup and I was always too busy to go and then he passed Uh, and I'm just like dude what did uh, you just do uh, Mike and Liz got to sit at his table 
Oh, you yeah, did? we oh. we traveled up. Uh, there was a Milwaukee con. It was shortly after Gen Con moved to Indianapolis. Some people tried to continue a gaming con at the old Gen Con location in Milwaukee. Yeah, okay. and one of the advertisements there was they were going to do a first edition AD and D tournament, and if you could make it to the last round, you, Gary Gygax would be running the final round. So Liz and I went up there. We signed up for it. And I'm telling her, look, I've done tournaments before back in the 80s. We're going to get lucky to maybe pass the first round. It's not we're not going to run and have a chance, really. I was trying to, you know, let her know. So let her down easy because <laughs> we're no way we're going to make the final round. We made the final round. Yeah, we missed most of the convention because <laughs> we're going all these rounds to the tournament. Wow. But it was worth it. It was cool. Mm. Gary killed me. <laughs> killed my character. Didn't kill Liz's character, though he tried, but yeah. So we, I, he, I experienced the exact melancholy you write about in your book. I'm like, oh, man, dude. I'm sure he would have talked to you, though. I was uh, working with him on a project, actually, mm. um, through Troll Lord Games at the time. And I knew he was feeling a little under the weather, but that's all I knew when I yeah. yelled him. And then it was suddenly, you know, he's passed away. What? You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think they were keeping it pretty close to the chest all around. Right. So I'm dying so to know, having yeah, go ahead. having explored the length and breadth of role playing, tabletop online, LARPing, ska. What system do you play now? What's your current system of choice? Well, the system that we're we're using now, we've actually. Um, the guy who runs our game, um, and by the way, I'm playing D&D with JP again, which is kind of amazing after all these years. Oh, uh, cool. he, he's not the DM, but he now lives in Boston. He's lived other places. I lived in France for five years. He lived in Spain for a decade. Life took us in different places, and now, you know, interestingly enough, we're back. We're back close to where we started, and and uh, and we both are, we, he lives down the street. But he, um, so he and I, and and a couple other guys who I came across when I moved to to the Boston area, who were similarly uh, minded. Like we used to play this game, we we think we can play again. We're not sure if we will have fun, you know, doing it again after all these years. But let's give it a try. Let's just see how it goes. And anyway, the guy who's our DM, this uh, friend of ours, Peter started out basically saying let's just pull out our old i'm going to you know violate your uh, the the con- the uh, the parameters of your show here by by saying it's it's basically a d and d and then we ended up um using uh kind of an osric uh you know old school renaissance yeah and then uh we now use a, a system that's called basic fantasy so i Ooh. forget exactly now yeah what the i forget exactly you know what lineage it it all goes back to but to be quite frank, we don't exactly look at the rule books hardly ever. Um, you know, occasionally Peter will look at something to make sure that when we roll our die, he has he has <laughs> he has at least something to go off of in terms of like did we hit or did we miss? But it's it's largely uh, a, a kind of uh, you know very much story based uh, role playing compared to I think the kind I did play you know thirty years ago, which was largely killing as much thing as many things as we could and, and amassing as much experience points so we could we could you know mm-hmm. go yeah to the kill the monsters uh, take their stuff yeah we were very focused on that as kids and and uh at least at least initially i i think as i mean i think what's great about the game is it grows with you as you become if you want to call it more mature or just sort of more sophisticated the idea that you you're just trying to get powerful or be more powerful than your fellow players and you know um 
you know, kind of work out what I feel like we were doing, which was a lot of adolescent boy, you know, mojo that we were trying to work out, you know, through the, through the, through the, through the game. Uh, but it became more of a, of an interest in, in the, the world building and the, and the sort of fantasy exercise or the imaginative exercise of, of fantasy worlds. Um, and, well, and putting our brain in those in those spaces and see how that feels, you know. As a young girl, when I first started, um, and I was the one running the games for my friends, you know, it was it was all kill the monsters, take their stuff to start off with. Mm-hmm. It did not occur to us to try to make more more of a story out of it mm-hmm. until after we had gotten more comfortable playing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the box set I had had a uh, keep on the borderlands rather than B1. It was more or less flipping through it, you know, going to the caves, kill the monsters, take their stuff, bring it back to the keep. Check their you spleen know. for emeralds. And there there wasn't a there wasn't a really big storyline behind it. So, yeah. 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 Um so I'm not sure that it's, you know, primarily just, you know, something that, you know, young boys would do, you know, because <laughs> we young girls, we were just killing monsters and taking their stuff to start off with, too. <laughs> uh, see, that, that, just, that just makes my whole, my whole vision of the female uh, gender just, you just crushed all my dreams now. <laughs> I always thought you guys are more sophisticated. You gals are more sophisticated than us. <laughs> well, at, 11, at 11, apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you say you say it was all about kill the monsters and take their stuff, and we're all kind of agreeing with you. But in your book, there's pictures of the worlds that you guys had mapped out at 12 years old. There was a lot of world yeah. building going on there, right, and that's right, yeah. there are areas of the hobby where that's a lost art now, and everybody depends on campaign settings and splat books. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think you know it's a good point because I think that that's a, that's a, a lot of that is largely the, the killing the monster, getting the treasure was what happened when we played as a group, but on my own, because um, all the maps that are reproduced in the book are all mine and, and some of the other drawings and whatnot. And the, the, I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, places and dungeons and worlds and, and so forth that I, we never even got a chance to play in. I just made them up on my own and just typed them up. And we had a little typewriter in my house and I would type them up um, and, uh, so we, the, the, the ratio of like stuff that I, uh, maps that I made and, and reams of paper that I scribbled down notes about what, what each place was like and what went on there, you know, that was probably, you know, outnumbered 10 to one, the actual things that I, I, I created that we ever got a chance to play. Uh, so there were a lot of fellow writers and fellow musicians and other folks I know who had a similar experience. They didn't even, uh, play the game as much. They, but they had the rule books and they would sit in their rooms and they would dream, <laughs> dream up things and write stuff down and, and sort of be inspired uh, without actually ever, you know, playing the game with their buddies. What's more, what's more Tolkien-esque than that? Right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And, yeah. and the book, wasn't that the very first crack in your I'm a grown up now and don't do this anymore was you went to a world building seminar or something? Yes, that's right. Yeah, I was I was absolutely I was trying to make a an effort at, at, a, at another, uh, another quasi fantasy novel that I, you know, found myself returning to. And also I'm glad you mentioned Tolkien too, because that was also obviously part of it. I, I, when I started to watch the Lord of the Rings movies and I kind of returned to reading the books again and, uh, went to a, a convention, uh, in, uh, in the UK. And that was another 
you know, crack in my facade of like, huh, maybe I, I'm into this stuff after all. Why, why am I, why am I so ashamed of, of admitting that this is stuff that I, I love? Uh, and I'd really, I'd really, uh, unfortunately, you know, made the wrong choice around the time I was 18 and, and really made a concerted effort to, to make myself more cool and, uh, or try to be cool and try to turn the page in a certain part, a certain way in, in my life at that time. So would you say that there's a difference between modern cultural views of D&D as opposed to back in the day? Modern cultural, what of D&D, sir? The, the, the acceptance of D&D yeah, and that, or just role-playing in general. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, my social circle might be a little bit skewed because a lot of my um, friends here in Boston are, you know, hipster, hipster wannabes who all are working on novels and all are, you know, or they're all in the band and they're all, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but there's a certain amount of artsy street cred that uh, a kind of a D&D past can bring, you know, so I feel like a lot of my friends now are, or my social group, you hear more and more about people saying, oh yeah, I used to play D&D. And uh, they may not play it now, but but they'll admit it, um, or they'll uh, certainly the popularity of Harry Potter and Game of Thrones has made it perfectly safe for normal, average, everyday people to be seen on the subway reading, you know, a, 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 you know, any work of science fiction or fantasy. So it's hugely, hugely. Uh, to, to my mind, it's not even an issue for younger people growing up that they that they might be into this stuff, whether it's video games or whether it's some kind of fandom weirdness um you know uh so i don't know it's funny i i didn't really have a sense of shame about it until i realized that i wanted to do something a little bit differently when i got to college i mean i was kind of by the time i got out of high school you know i was, I was kind of I certainly was a shy introverted kid that was slowly coming out of a shell but i was not entirely you know i thought what this stuff was kind of a fun game you know and and uh, but I, it was something about it maybe think this is probably not something i want to announce to my new friends in my, in my dormitory when i go to my little liberal arts college you know uh when when i when i leave home uh, so i don't know if you guys had a similar experience at some point of turning away from things or, or sort of yeah. um i was in greenville mississippi up till about 10th grade and then i moved to east texas and I had decided because I had been, I and my friends had been ostracized because we played D and D. I decided, well, I was going to keep it totally quiet. I mean, I'd still read it at home and such, but I'm not going to mention it. I'm nobody's going to be able to pin me as a gamer. Mm. And that lasted about six months. And I said, screw it, I want a game. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, I've never really tried to, to to hide it from that point onward. It's like, you know, whatever. How about you, Liz and Jim? Would you guys have similar stories? or? Uh, I didn't hide it so much, but I was very shy and introverted. And like Mike, I wound up moving um, from Corpus Christi to Tyler, Texas. And so for my junior and senior year in high school, I was in a brand new place. And I didn't make friends easily. So... I didn't game, not because I was trying to pretend I wasn't a gamer, but because I just didn't really have a big circle of friends there. And it wasn't until right after, I guess it was towards the end of my senior year, when one of my friends, who was a senior when I was a junior, um, she got me into the SCA, as a matter of fact. And I went with her to an SCA event. And the people in that little SCA Shire, the guy who was running the the group, he was a gamer. 
and he played D&D and had a group that would get together and so I was able to get back into gaming that way because I found them. <laughs> so there was a very brief hiatus for me, but it wasn't it wasn't due to my trying to hide it. I was just really shy and it was hard for me to get to know people. There's a there's a much larger issue about inner and outer selves there because I what you're describing happened to me exactly. It just didn't happen with uh, fantasy role-playing. It happened when I hit college and came in as a fine arts major and pursuing a degree in painting and then got sucked up in the student newspaper and started doing a satirical comic strip. And I mm-hmm. caught nothing but four years of solid hell for that comic strip. I, I, when I finally gave it up because I became a reporter and then the editor-in-chief of the student newspaper, I thought that every step of the way, I'm like, okay, this will get this will be the break point where I'll stop getting hell for this in the art <laughs> department. And it never happened because people were very fixed on their labels. And yeah, I, applaud, but- I applaud the level of self-honesty that was in your book, Ethan, because there have been a lot of books written where, you know, I used to be this nerdy gamer, and they're oh, still yes. sort of written in the present tense, as, as a, as, and I still sort of am ashamed of that. I'm better now. And the, the, the uh, self-honesty you, you know, put in your writing as you went on this quest made your book different from those. Yeah, um, one that particularly stood out to me was The Elfish Gene mm-hmm. um, by Barrowcliff, I think. Barrowcliff, yeah, Mark Barrowcliff, yep. And you know, it started pretty okay, but then it was just like, oh, thank God, I'm not, I don't do nerdy junk like that anymore. And yeah, like, well, yeah. Screw you, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he got, I think he got a, a fair amount of pushback about that, and it, it was something that, you know, people inevitably um, compared his book to mine, and and there's been a few other memoirs that are kind of, you know, exploring the same territory. But I actually was on a on a radio show with with Mark not all that long ago. Uh, kind of a 40th anniversary of D and D, and from what I could tell, he doesn't. I don't know if he's recanted that necessarily, but it, he seemed to speak of it fondly. Um, okay. So I don't know. I don't know if he is, has a different perspective on it now that now that some time has passed. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it definitely that book definitely kind of wrote a very fine line between you know being very genuinely funny uh, mm-hmm. and and real, but uh, you know kind of pissing off a lot of gamers <laughs> who were, didn't really like the conclusions that he drew from it in the end. I guess the Shatner get a life sketch of yes, fantasy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, are there any projects you're working on right now? Well, I, I, it's not yet announced, but I do, I do have a book that I'm working on um, that I probably can't be too specific about because it's, you know, I don't want to jinx it. Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, relates in some way to some of the some of the territory that I explored in Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks. But it's not a sequel, which is a question that a lot of people have had. Like, are you going to write a sequel to this? Uh, but I will say that it, it, you know, the, the method that I like to, as a journalist and, and as, a, I guess, a, an interested person in culture, I, I try to do a lot of um, first-person immersion journalism, you know, where I go and, and do the thing that I want to write about, uh, which is also just makes it more fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, cause I, my reportage can be, can be based on what I, what I'm doing myself, not just talking to people. Mm-hmm. So, um, my new, my new book, if it comes to pass, you know, waiting to get the final go ahead, uh, will be something like that. And, and I did a piece that's, um, that's a, uh, sort of a test run of that, which is, a I did a, some reenactment, uh, for our local 
pretty well-known uh, uh, organization here in Boston called Plymouth Plantation, which is a, a re- reenacted village of the Plymouth, of the, uh, sorry, of the Pilgrims in, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, hmm. which is just near here. So it's a, for those two people who are really history buffs who want to go see where supposedly the Pilgrims first, uh, well, they, well the, near to where the Pilgrims first settled, you can go to this little village. And they, the folks there were very kind enough to let me um, spend a day as a reenactor, and they trained me, uh, developed a character for me, gave me this amazing costume and I spent a day there, um, interacting with the public and, and, uh, being a member of that place. And so I wrote a piece about it for the globe. And so one of my events actually that I have coming up is, uh, in a couple of weeks for those of your listeners who are in the Boston area, um, I'm doing a talk down at Plymouth plantation on Saturday, September 27th. And they're having a day, they're inaugurating a new building that they've built and they're having some people come in and give lectures. And I'm doing a talk about, character is craft and i'm looking at sort of the parallels between developing a character for a place like plymouth plantation and what you might do as a novelist or what you might do in a role-playing game uh so i'll hopefully try to nerd spread the nerd gospel to people <laughs> who don't know anything about D, but do like the idea of going to this immersive experience and you know you both mike and liz you know about this from the sca you know it has a certain reputation people don't understand what it is but if it's a history you know, historical place that really existed and it's a bunch of school kids yeah. are going, you know, then that's sort of okay because uh, mm-hmm. it's historical merit. But the SCA seems a little bit, you know, weirder and, and fringier because it people don't know, you can't really see it and it's not really a place that, you know, a bunch of school buses are going to show up for. That uh, a vast, it covers a vast historical range too. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. As a history person myself, kind of made me a little twitchy. So yeah, right, because you can have Vikings <laughs> and samurais and Dark Age people and High Renaissance or High High High, high uh, Middle Middle Ages people. Sort of samurai and yeah. exactly, musketeers yeah. and yeah. Yeah. everyone's all lumped together. It's like, yeah. how exactly is this a you know? Non-profit teaching group, you know, <laughs> proves yeah. they weren't together. I, lo- I love it though because yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinated by human psychology, and what you're talking about is what bucket people or what frame people are using in their heads to frame something. You know, like e- even within the hobby, when people get into edition wars, I never bought into that because it's silly. Why are you arguing over which version of which game you play? And you're talking about how people—it's socially acceptable to play fantasy football and Madden on the Xbox, yep. but that is somehow perceived by some as different from world of warcraft and D, when they're yeah. the exact same thing and, and who cares go have fun and yeah. don't even get started on dressing up for football games and yes. yourself <laughs> and wearing oh but my dressing as an elf is geeky right yeah. gotcha no it's totally arbitrary it's a very good it's, it's definitely a point that i make in in my book and it's something that i remind people again and again that the the america's love affair with sports or i should say the world's love affair with organized professional sports is and, and some level completely arbitrary that it's that that's the thing that's acceptable. And, and the other thing that people forget is all these sports are essentially abstracted war games, right? So mm-hmm. you know, they are war games and, and whether you play them on the field bashing each other's heads in or you play them around a table with little miniatures, you know, what's the difference? Um, but we're going to see a change in this. And I think the, the whole competitive video gaming culture that's rising and people actually watching professional video gamers play games and they, they themselves becoming so sort of celebrities in their own right is a kind of interesting shift. Uh, I don't know if that we're going to be having uh, people sit down watching tournament, you know, uh, D&D play necessarily, but, <laughs> uh, but that would be a positive development maybe, or maybe it would be like the moment D&D jumps the shark. I'm not sure. Um, well, I mean, you think about how 
much things have changed over the past 30 years. Where's it going to be in 30 more? You know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I really am happy as much as, you know, as you were talking about the edition wars and, and, you know, obviously your, your podcast is devoted to a certain version of, uh, of the game, but I, I admire what wizards of the coast is doing by releasing this new version of the game. And, and, you know, you could argue that they're just trying to make sure that they continue to make money and are a viable company, but, but they, they are in a way, you know, there's another opportunity for another generation of people to be introduced to the game and, and, uh, maybe they will, they will not necessarily cling onto that edition, but they'll just get, they'll, they'll find their way through the rabbit warren of the internet to other versions of the game. And, uh, in any case, it's, I think it's cool. You know, I don't know the DD yeah. ever going to have, it's, well, it's never going to have the capture the public's, you know, imagination quite During the way it's it period. Yeah, like back in the late seventies and early eighties, when it was really like, as you were saying, I, was it you, Jim, said that the, you know your dad just gave you the game, you know, as a gift from the Christmas tree kind of thing. Uh, I did. Uh, it was you, sorry, my dad. Yeah. yeah. So because because every every boy was getting it, you know, a certain year, you know, or close to it, you know, a lot of the boys are boys are getting it uh, as a gift. It's I. The, let me run this by you. I'm very interested in your opinion. I don't think sure. it's ever going to go away though, and it continues to keep coming back and resurfacing because the difference between an online role-playing game and a tabletop role-playing game is the same difference between a novel and a movie made of the novel. When we go to yeah. the movie of Lord of the Rings, we're all presented with the same singular vision of Peter Jackson and the actors and the crew of this is what this is. When we read the book, we all have a different mental world in our head that's created, and that's what happens at the tabletop with the yep, narration. Yep. Absolutely. And not only that, but it's not the, it's 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 absolutely that that uh analogy but except that it's also saying and here's Lord of the Rings and you can write it as we you know as you read it you can also write it. You know, you can decide the you're yeah. not just imagining the imagining of the what what Tolkien is describing but you actually get to decide the direction of the plot and, and so many video games fail on the on the on the the sort of we we say they're interactive, but the, the the interactivity is very limited. You know what what you can do. You can point your avatar in a different direction and explore a different thing and choose to shoot a, a gun or attack that you know whatever you know creature if you choose to or not to. But but uh, you don't really tell the story quite the same way that you do with D and D. Yeah, and you can play the exact same adventure module, but with say three different DMs. And have yeah, three yeah. totally different experiences yeah, yeah. with that ex- same with that very same adventure, just depending yeah. on who's running it. I had a really great experience recently where I have a, a colleague of mine who teaches at a at a small college outside of Philadelphia called Bryn Mawr, and it's an all women's college. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was doing a class on medievalism, which is basically you know modern representations of medieval, you know the medieval era and historical representations. And she wanted to do a unit on D and D, so I came down and. I did an event with them and read from my, my book, Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks, and gave a lecture. But then she wanted me to try to teach the uh, 20, 30-something women how to play D&D, women, most of them who've never played before. And I designed this very quick and dirty, you know, easy module that was a you could play in about three hours uh, and very simplified version of you know, a role-playing system that allowed people to basically choose one of like five different characters. And we divided people up in these random groups. Anyway, long story short, we all played. I got a bunch of volunteers to help run the run the the each game going on. We had I think five groups playing simultaneously, mm-hmm. and every single one of them came up with a completely different solution. To the point of, you know, there was a big baddie at the end, some kind of orc priestess that they had to you know 
confront and some of them killed her or some of them actually teamed up with her and like, <laughs> you know, like the person who black, black blackmailed the party to begin with and like all all possible outcomes of how the the, the story could have come and, and it was so wonderful to see that it was you know the 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 variety uh, of of options in a way just play styles and in the way people who never played the game approached it because they didn't have any of the baggage about well this is what D&D has to be it has to be you know Tolkien-esque or it has to be you know I don't know come out of this tradition of literature they just didn't really quite get what it was so all kinds of crazy things happened Game of uh, Thrones. yeah exactly <laughs> right and and they and they had such a ball and uh it was such a it was such a thrill and it was an, it was a reminder that you know the the experience is is less like we're in this fantasy world um in this particular setting it has so much more to do with this is the thing that we can create, you know, improvisationally around the table. And I think that's something everyone can agree on, regardless of what edition you prefer. We yeah. need more people in the hobby. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you've done a very good job in getting, hopefully, a few of them will decide to keep playing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so happy that now, after this, you know, journey of writing my book and in the interceding years that I'm back to playing it and you know, being completely open and out about it and feeling like I can really be a, um, to the extent that I have a tiny influence through the things that I can sometimes write, you know, that I can talk about why this is an important part of our culture and why this is a dying part of our culture in a way. This is something that's worth preserving, this, this, this kind of experience for children, for young people, for adults, but particularly kids when I look at my nephews, you know, uh, you know what kind of life or what kind of creative life or imaginative life are they going to have? Uh, what can we do to continue to make sure they they have big dreams and they are able to think creatively and outside of the box and all these things that I think D and D does such a great job of, of teaching kids. Well, but all right. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. You're yes. welcome. Well, it's and now you guys, we had a great con- great conversation here. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> and this part of our show, we head down the dusty road. Just like David Banner in the 1970s. And how are we heading down the road tonight, Jim? I have never LARPed in my life, but I am going to head down the road in my red robes and pointy wizard hat, conducting my one-man gamer pride parade. <laughs> Liz? Well, I'm going to take a trip down memory lane. I'll be heading down the road killing monsters and taking their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of memories, I'm going down the road having found myself 11 years old again and following a group of adult gamers asking them to please let me game with them. Please, please, can I ha? Please, please, ha, ha, ha. And Ethan? I I was thinking about this. I, I, I would say I would go down the road much much like Bruce Banner with my belongings slung over my shoulder, but I'm thinking in the case of me, it's my old Crown Royal uh, bag, uh, dice bag, you know, the old <laughs> Crown Royal bag from whiskey or whatever that... Yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, yeah, baby. Uh, full of about 300 dice and... <laughs> <laughs> the official... Over, uh, one of those hobo sticks over my shoulder, you know, as I go down the road, listening to the dice, uh, uh, you know, whatever, making the dice noises that they make, whatever that is. Crown Royal, the official dice bag of the OSR. <laughs> well, we appreciate it and hope everyone's enjoyed listening to the episode. We'll see you at episode 99. See ya. Bye-bye. Rearch.
association with d20radio.com. The Save or Die theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. Fantasy Freaks and Gaming Geeks is available at amazon.com, the iBookstore, and brick-and-mortar booksellers everywhere. So why are you still listening to this podcast? Go get it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die. 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 Die.